Hi there, Siege fans. This is the second in our series of discussions about prepper fiction. This time, the topic is Comet Doom. There are actually quite a few books and movies in which a comet, or a meteor, or something else from outer space, strikes the Earth and ushers in the end of the world as we know it. For something with a really low probability of happening, there sure is an awful lot of stories about it. I'd venture to guess that some of those vague worries about SHTF, those ill-defined feelings, especially of doom, tend to draw from those stories we've absorbed. I'm suspecting that we draw some of what we picture of a post-SHTF world from the fiction that we've taken in. With that in mind, we have these episodes where we explore some of the cultural prepper fiction influences. This time, we're taking a look at Comet Doom. You might remember back in Book 1 of the Siege of New Hampshire series, when Susan was worried that Martin was one of those crazy Doom people who are convinced that a comet will strike the Earth so they stockpile food and ammo. That was a reference to a Doomsday Preppers episode, Season 2, Episode 11. But that couple weren't the first folks to worry about comets. Turns out that a comet strike, or a meteor, or a rogue planet, it's all the same problem, is actually a really old doom trope. Civilization-ending doom seems to animate a lot of prepper fiction and thinking. Nowadays, we've seen all kinds of doom scenarios. Nuclear doom, pollution doom, climate doom, EMP doom, etc. But long before there were nukes and EMPs, people worried about civilization being destroyed by a comet. Comet doom is apparently the granddaddy of the end of the world as we know it. Looking back, there's quite a bit of literature, books and movies, etc., that use Comet Doom as their plot device. Some are quite recent. For today's episode, I thought we could look at a couple of the newer movies in this genre. Ah, but first, a little historical context is in order. Of course, the end of the world isn't anything new. It's been described in the Bible for almost 2,000 years. The book of Second Peter describes the earth being burned up in a fervent heat. The Apostle John describes, in the book of Revelation, some pretty cataclysmic destruction. Mountains being thrown into the sea, hail, fire, earthquakes, millions of people dying. It was pretty bad news. Yet, and despite people knowing all of this awful end-of-the-world stuff for like uh, 1,800 years, they weren't freaking out about it. Why not? Now, maybe it's because the biblical end of the world wasn't just some random thing that would take you by surprise. It was being managed by God. Not a lot you could do about it if God was calling the shots. He was in charge. But somewhere in the 1700s, people got to thinking that they were too smart for God, the Enlightenment, and all that. The universe was thought to be just matter and Newtonian physics, materialism. If God wasn't in charge, the universe was just a bunch of random stuff happening. If that was true, then something randomly horrible could happen. The world could get wiped out in some cosmic accident. A universe without God was a lot scarier. A great example of how the populace at large was pretty fertile ground for comet doom came in 1773. Then, a French astronomer was reading one of his scholarly papers before their Academy of Sciences. 
The title of his paper was Reflections on Comets That Can Approach the Earth. Now, somehow word leaked out to the public that he had said that a comet would hit the Earth. Well, he never said that, but the rumor mill ran with it. The people of Paris began to freak out. Popular wisdom, sort of conspiracy theory-like, decided that the comet would hit on May 20th, 1773. The astronomer never cited a date, because he never said there would be a comet. Someone just made that up. The astronomer was shocked that people were freaking out because of his scholarly paper. He even took out an ad in the local newspapers, trying to clear up the rumors. But nobody listened. The freakout continued. People were writing to the philosopher Voltaire, asking him what they should do. He announced that the people of Paris should stay and face their doom while listening to good music or watching a good play. He was trolling them. Well, lots of people ignored Voltaire's brave advice and fled Paris for the hinterlands. Of course, on May 20th, no comet appeared, or actually any time in May, or June, or July, or August. The scare was for nothing. But it did go to prove that the public was primed for bad news from outer space. Now, I don't know that there's a connection, but the folktale Chicken Little, you know, the sky is falling, let's all run around in a panic, was first published in 1823. Coincidence? I wonder. Well, anyhow, in 1832, people got another cosmic accident scare. Astronomers had been tracking a comet and calculated that it would pass near the Earth. The public somehow missed the hearing the word near and freaked out all over again. The astronomers tried to explain how near in astronomical terms isn't really all that near, really. So the freakout didn't last as long as it did in Paris. But Halley's Comet was due to return in 1835, so nerves stayed on edge. Add to those jangled nerves a lay preacher in upstate New York, one William Miller, who began preaching that the biblical end of the world, the Book of Revelation stuff, would begin in 1843. He was attracting big crowds. The end of the world was a pretty hot topic in the 1830s. So, when you had the merging of fears over comet doom mingling with the ancient biblical doom, uh, it didn't look too good for humanity. Enter into this fertile field the Gothic horror author Edgar Allan Poe. You probably know him from his more famous works like The Telltale Heart, The Raven, or The Cask of Amontillado. You can almost imagine Poe sitting down and thinking, Oh, I know what'll really scare these people. And then he wrote a Comet Doom short story with the catchy title of The Conversation of Eros and Charmian, 1839. It was, I think, the first Comet Doom story. The story is basically two disembodied spirits in the afterlife talking about how they died. The Eros character describes how he died at the end of the world. Basically, a comet comes by the Earth, and its tail sucks all the nitrogen out of the atmosphere. The excess oxygen makes everybody giddy for a little while, but oxygen being flammable, yeah, well, farumph, the Earth burns up in a massive fireball. Uh, not a happy Hollywood ending. But then, Poe couldn't very well just have civilization blasted back to the 1800s. He was already in the 1800s. A little later in the 1800s, H.G. Wells wrote a short story titled The Star. 
It was a near miss by a small star that causes sudden global warming that wipes out much of civilization, especially all the nasty capitalists and nationalists that Wells disliked. In 1906, as the world was starting to ramp up for more freakout when Halley's Comet was due to return in 1910, Wills came in with another comet story, but this time he was playing the contrarian. His In the Days of the Comet had the gases in the comet's tail turn everyone nice. Nations would all get along, give up war, and sing kumbaya together. There was free love, and everybody was happy. His story didn't do too much to calm the public, though. Around that same time, another French astronomer announced that the tail of Halley's Comet contained cyanogen gas, not Wells's happy gas. The public quickly assumed that if the Earth passed through the tail, the resulting cyanide gas would kill everyone. Again, that wasn't what the astronomers said, but rumors are faster than science. The New York Times reported several cities on the verge of panic. All of this panic created business opportunities for the less-than-scrupulous. Hucksters were selling comet cure pills as an antidote to the toxic gas. They were just sugar pills. Others were selling comet-proof umbrellas to protect the holder from the toxic dust expected to fall. The Pope admonished the people of Rome to stop buying up all the canisters of oxygen. Gas masks were selling like hotcakes. There were postcards in Germany that spoofed the whole comet panic thing. They depicted people selling tickets to climb a ladder to the moon for safety, or selling tickets on a moon ship to take people up to the moon. They're really quite funny. I'll post images of a few of them on my Buy Me a Coffee page and Patreon pages so you can see what they look like. Halley's Comet came and went in 1910 without anyone dying of cyanide gas. But the fact that another comet doom failed to end the world didn't seem to dampen the public's appetite for comet doom. In 1916, there was a Danish silent film titled The End of the World that appealed to that persistent comet anxiety in the public. In that film, a comet-slash-meteor shower burns up civilization. In 1933, there was a novel titled When Worlds Collide that told of a rogue planet that would crash into the Earth and destroy it. Some lucky people fled in a rocket to a nearby and conveniently Earth-like other rogue planet. Some of those ideas on the German postcards weren't all that outlandish, it seems. In 1951, that same story was made into a movie. You might have seen it on one of those midnight movie shows they used to run on TV, uh, back before the internet and streaming. Well, anyhow, fast forward to 1977, and there's the novel Lucifer's Hammer. Now, the 1970s saw a whole lot of doom stories, and we'll get to some of those in later episodes. But Lucifer's Hammer revived the comet doom trope. It doesn't wipe out everyone. In that post-apocalyptic world, rival gangs, both good and evil, do battle for control of what's left of civilization. Of course, for science fans, 1980 is when the asteroid impact theory of dinosaur extinction gained acceptance. Impact from space kills, you see. Science proves it. In 1993, Arthur C. Clarke wrote Hammer of God about an impending comet impact. Two of the more recent examples of comet doom stories, well, movies actually, may be more familiar to you. Deep Impact, 
which was a loose adaptation of Clark's Hammer of God and had echoes of When Worlds Collide, and the movie Greenland. It's these last two that Jeff and Brian and I got together to chat about from the prepper perspective. The movie Deep Impact, that was 1998. I know it seems like only a little while ago to some people. But that one had a meteorite, I don't think it was a comet, that was coming to the Earth and everybody's freaking out about it. And there's a variety of other machinations. In some cases, it followed the plot line somewhat faithfully, but it had some subtleties. Brian, I think you said you had watched Deep Impact recently. Can you give us a quick synopsis and then talk about uh, how did the people of the Earth react to the idea that Impact was going to wipe them out? Sure. And I believe it was a comet, actually. At least that's what I have in my notes, but that could be wrong. But it was a comet about the size of New York City. And it would create an extinction-level event, which we've had five in the past that we know of. Astronauts were sent out to deflect the comet's path in a, uh, what, spoiler alert, they failed. The government built massive bunkers in uh, Missouri sandstone or limestone caves that can house up to a million people for two years. So they used a lottery to select who was going to get to live and who wasn't. As you can imagine, most people probably don't react well to that. So there was a lot of panic. And what we would always assume as preppers is the ensuing violence and looting and even a little bit of uh, profiteering, you know, trying to sell things at outrageous prices and that type of stuff. Like comet cure pills. Yeah. But getting back to the uh, the Deep Impact movie, one of the things that sort of struck me was that with that lottery of the chosen versus the sacrificed, is those who didn't get chosen seemed sort of quietly resigned. Oh, darn, I didn't get chosen. Well, bummer for me. We don't really know what to expect, but I think most of us probably expect a little bit more chaos and maybe even a lot more violent. You know, they had martial law nationwide and curfews were instituted, but... We're very limited on how to enforce anything like that, or at least the government and local governments are. During the lottery, no one over the age of 50 or anybody that had a bad disease or condition could be selected for it. And then you have the, the problem with being selected doesn't mean your entire family is selected. So maybe you're selected, but you're, you have to leave your mom and dad or whatever, or the rest of your family to face the, uh, the impact. Wasn't that the uh, the sub story with the the TV anchor woman and her estranged father that she was chosen but the father wasn't so they exactly. had to sort of reconcile what are they going to do and just because you've already spoiled the movie for everybody she decides to stay behind with her dad and face the giant tsunami head on so it became a kind of uh, family is more important kind of sub story. And I think yeah, Brian, and you, you were mentioning about uh, as the line of buses is trying to get into this mega cave, that the road's lined with a whole lot of people who aren't lottery winners. And they're all just kind of standing and shouting. And what did you say? There was like three or four soldiers to guard the entrance. I believe the crowd would have overwhelmed the limited number of soldiers that were securing the gates. Yeah, I don't think that was very realistic. So you think people no, in real world would panic and just say, forget you and your lottery, I'm going in. Right. Yeah, I, I think things would have been disastrous. I don't think that it would be as public as it was. I don't think we'd have Morgan Freeman coming on as the president and saying, you know, we're going to institute a lottery and 
you have 48 hours to get to the location. And that includes the bus ride and all that. So very small window to get everybody into position and identified, check their ID and make sure they are who they say they are. Do you think in the real world then, if the government was capable enough of pulling off something as intricate as that, they probably wouldn't broadcast it? They just sort of quietly net, let the chosen know they've been chosen? By the way, sneak off. Honestly, I don't think it would happen at all like that. I believe they couldn't possibly organize something like that. And they want to keep us in the dark. So I believe that just like we have today with the continuity of government, they would all be saved. Their families would be saved. The elite would probably be invited or saved. But I don't believe the citizens in general would be even considered as a part of a, any type of lottery or anything like that. Yeah, I was uh, reminded watching Deep Impact because it had some really obvious parallels to it when worlds collide that had a similar sort of problem. Instead of a meteor, it was a planet that was going to wipe out the Earth. It wasn't just going to hit and be a problem. It was going to you know, blow it to bits. The government's solution was to create this big rocket that they called the Ark, which was coincidentally what in Deep Impact they called that cave in the Ozarks was the Ark. In When Worlds Collide, they had, I think, only like 50 or 60 seats on board the rocket. There they were picking people because they were scientists or they were going to be useful for recreating civilization on a different planet, by the way, but never mind. But there were a whole lot of people who were working on the rocket who realized somewhere late, I guess they're kind of dim, that they didn't quite realize that there isn't room for everybody. And the masses of the unchosen riot and almost foil the launch of the rocket to get away because all of the unchosen were, well, basically rioting to get on board which was different than in Deep Impact, where people weren't really rioting. They were just kind of standing around shouting. Yeah, it kind of breaks down society in a, in a way that the movie does. You know, the, the people that are just devastated and sad and want to spend the time with their families, their last moments with their families, and then the ones that lean more toward desperation and violence. And then you have another sector that are resigned to it and just want to watch it unfold, just to witness it. So go up to a high place and just watch the end of the the world as we know it. Yeah, there was another scene that had a sort of odd complacency to it was when the masses, I'm not sure why they waited so long, but everybody got in their cars with their mattresses strapped to the top and they were all clogging the highways to get out of town, head for high ground, I guess, that they were all just kind of stuck in a traffic jam honking at each other, which I thought was kind of odd. If you think a hundred foot wall of water is coming, do you just sit there and shout and basically road rage on each other? Or wouldn't you be doing something else? Yeah, I think that probably ideally you would stay off the freeways. We know that from hurricanes and, and stuff in the past, natural disasters. Things are going to become gridlocked very quickly. Stores are going to be emptied out almost immediately, I think. We hear a lot, you know, in the news and reports and stuff that three days, you know, you have 72 hours, but you really don't. That's just what they have on stock is, you know, generally just-in-time inventory is three days of supplies in their store. So once word gets out, everybody's going to go to the gas stations and try to get money and go to the stores and try to stock up if you have the idea that you can actually survive it. So if it's just a tsunami coming and you need to get to high ground or away from the coast, it's better to already have that stuff taken care of. 
a route planned and get a head start as quick as possible. But, you know, something the size of New York City hitting the planet, you're kind of done for it. I believe it was a different movie, but they, they talked about it took them nine months or something to open the, the doors. So if you had a bunker in your backyard or in your bug out location, that's not going to help you. If you, if you did survive it, you'd have to stay down there for before you could even breathe the air for maybe a year, maybe two. Mm. That's beyond most prepper bunker resources, I believe. Oh, yeah. And actually, that uh, unruly crowd thing reminds me of a, was the a 1916 Danish silent film with the catchy title, End of the World. You know, it follows the plot line almost the same as Deep Impact where an astronomer sees a comet coming and calculates it's going to hit the Earth. He wants to warn everybody, but the the powers that be decide that they need to keep it secret lest the people panic. But a rich guy finds out that the comet's going to hit and wipe everything out. And so he devises a plan for him and his elites to hide in one of his mines. That's all fine until the day that the comet is supposed to hit. All of the uh, the peasant types, the workers at the mines and others find out that the rich guy is going to go survive and had made no provision for them. And so they riot and storm the party. So it was that same sort of scenario with the unchosen rioting against the chosen. And not to do a yeah, spoiler think, alert, but the rich guy dies anyway. So it really didn't help. Yeah, I, I believe that society, I think I think we're going to act a, a lot more violent than than what Hollywood likes to portray. Even though it was pretty bad there, I think it'd be a lot worse. You know, like cities burning to the ground before the comet ever got here. Hmm. So that was 1998. There was another version of that uh, trope called Greenland. That was, what was the year of that movie? Do you remember, Jeff? 2020. 2020. Ooh, not that long ago. So what was the uh, the gist of Greenland? I only saw the trailers. Well, just like the others, it's a asteroid going to hit the Earth. All the chaos ensues, that, just like all the other Hollywood flicks. Uh, this one was one of the better ones produced, had a lot more money behind it. But yeah, you go into the to the usual lottery system for the selected. The beginning, it was once he received his uh, notification via the cell phone, well, he just happened to have a house full of neighbors who found out. So right off the bat, he was having to deal with that scenario where why didn't the neighbors get chosen versus why did he? Were they not taking it well? Well, in the beginning, yeah, they, they all ran home to see if their notification would also pop up on their the cell phone. And then when they found out they didn't, as this family was trying to leave their neighborhood, all the neighbors rushed their car. They were panicked, but they allowed them through. Where like Brian says, you know, society is going to probably go straight to chaos. And I believe they will a lot faster. You can look at today's news stories on how quick people are to peacefully protest. So, yeah, they get to their place of departure. The mob is overrunning the gates and lo and behold, it blows up uh, several planes with a bunch of people on them. So the bunker is not going to be as full as they thought it was going to. Oh, some of the elites didn't make it? Well, some of the chosen, yeah. For some dumb reason, they're fueling the planes as uh, people are boarding. Well, what could go wrong? Exactly. And guns and people and, yeah. And gas fumes. They finally end up on another private flight that crash lands, and of course they survive. 
they make it to the bunker. And just like what you were talking about earlier with Hollywood has to give you some hope. So at the end of the movie, it does show them coming out of the bunker to a new world. They kind of run run along the same lines. You know, YouTube is loaded with this type of stuff with a lot worse actors. Uh, yeah, I think we do have a lottery system already in place. I'm going to disagree with Brian. I think the upper echelon of our political elite, I think the plan is there and it'll be acted long before we were told. So they will have all the opportunity in the world to uh, get to where they're going. But with that 24-hour news cycle, I think the news is going to break pretty quick. All these people disappear and it becomes kind of obvious that something is up. Exactly. Exactly. You'll you'll start to see certain things start to move. And then all of a sudden, certain people are no longer available for their quick stint at uh, CNN. So I guess that's what we watch for. So we're out of these two movies. Uh, you know, I, I don't know if there's a great takeaway from the 1951 movie other than make sure you're on the rocket rather than outside the rocket. But were there any other like survival prepper takeaways? I'll, I'll sort of prime the pump by saying that one of the things that piqued my curiosity was in Deep Impact, the elites, that, like you were saying, Jeff, about there's things that are going to give you a clue. The uh, the elites were stocking up on case after case of insure to put on their expensive yachts where they were going to go wherever they were going to go. And after I watched that movie, I thought, well, maybe that's what you should do. Instead of all of this other freeze-dried stuff, just get cases of insure. Then I looked into it and I decided that wasn't the thing, but that was a sort of potential survival prepper takeaway from the movie. Did you get anything like that out of uh, Deep Impact, Brian? I believe insure is probably a, a legitimate thing to look at for your preps, but probably not for a uh, comet impact. But it may it may have a place here in your prepper pantry. There's probably other alternatives. But yeah, I, I kind of like the, the idea with the comet protection umbrella or the sugar cubes that keep you from the cyanide poisoning. Now, those are handy. I, yeah, get a case of those. Yeah, being admitted from the the comet. I do think that if Jeff is right and they have a free selection already in progress or written out, pretty much everybody with a prepping website, podcast, YouTube video, you're going to be exempt from that. You're probably on the do not call list. In Greenland, the main character, I don't recall his name, but I believe he was selected because he was he had an engineering background or a structural engineering background for building which would be valuable for rebuilding after, you know, when you do get to open the blast doors nine months later. If they do already have something in motion for that, I believe it, that made a lot of sense, you know, where you're not going to be one of a million people drawn out of a, a random lottery. You're probably going to be selected due to your skills and maybe even your leadership ability and that type of stuff. And, and of course, things are going to get a lot simpler if we institute the, uh, what is that called? China's already got instituted. Social credit score? Yeah, yeah. We saw our social credit score. We can always build that up and try to get a little bit further into that list. What about you, Jeff? Do you have any prepper takeaways from either of those two movies? Yeah, there was a lot of good things and bad things. You know, we've talked about it. The gridlock. Why do people wait till the last minute to get where they're going? 
it, it's just, I mean, the number one takeaway is if you're going, you got to go. You can't wait around. You know, obviously Hollywood does it for flair, but, and adds a, a few minutes to their storyline. But I think there's uh, the character, how they interact with each other. There's a lot to look into that, not just the, the picture itself, but how people are going to respond. You know, like Brian was talking about the looting and the road rage and and, and all that's going to happen. Certainly something to add to your mental toolbox. So in the movie Greenland, was it a big enough asteroid that it was going to wipe out everything? Or because, like I say, I haven't seen the movie. I'm just wondering how complete the doom was. I know in Deep Impact... <laughs> The minor driller guys managed to break up the comet, so only the smaller piece hit the Earth, and it caused a great tsunami. And as long as you were above whatever the high water mark of the tsunami was, you'd survive, uh, provided you got there fast on your dirt bike. So it didn't really wipe out everything. It just wiped out anybody on the coast. How big a deal was it in Greenland? Well, it's uh, what they call a the ELE, which is the extinction level event. So it's not really the planet killer, but if you're above ground, you're, you're probably going to have a hard time for a while. So what was left after that when they came out after nine months? I mean, was it uh, just scorched earth? Everything's the Sahara desert. Yeah, pretty much oh. from, from what they led on to show you when they come out, obviously they're overlooking the landscaping of Greenland. So not much to see. Well, there's not much there now. Exactly. So I guess it didn't get better. So did you get any positive impact or impact? And did you get any positive prepper clues or hints from the movie? Well, yeah, like I was saying, it's it's don't react like they do. Learn from their mistakes. You know, start to recognize certain things. Because we're preppers, we're kind of looking for this stuff. But the average person, their cell phone gets an alert while they're in the grocery store and the common person would, wow, that's weird. Maybe it's nothing. But if somebody's already got a little tinfoil underneath their baseball cap, that raises a big red flag and you, you, you start enacting some plans. So kind of to wrap it up, we all know that the likelihood of a comet or meteor impact is really, really low on the uh, possibilities list. So we don't really prep for that. I think both you guys kind of touched on if it's going to be this extinction level event, then it doesn't matter if I have a backyard bunker. It's not going to help. Or it doesn't matter if I have 42 cases of insure because they're all going to get flattened. The possibility is really low, but the sort of public reaction notion that we see in those movies seems kind of common. And I noticed both of you guys kind of keyed on how did people react to the news? And it wasn't usually good. I wouldn't recommend that preppers start concentrating on an asteroid or a comet strike or an ex any extinction level event like that. It's probably a waste of your time and resources and your thought process and everything. You may as well just go and try to prepare for a black hole swallowing the earth. It's, it's, it's not productive. But you can take some of the things like we've mentioned, find an evacuation route with several alternatives already mapped out and planned. We did have, in 2013, we had an asteroid blew up like 20 meters, which is like 66 feet above a small town in Russia. When it exploded, it was brighter than the sun with a shock wave <laughs> estimated to be 500 kilotons of TNT, which is 30 to 40 times 
more energy than an atomic bomb that detonated at Hiroshima. So, I mean, it's, and we didn't see that coming. So, I mean, smaller events like that are probably more likely. In, I believe it was Greenland, where there were smaller chunks hitting ahead of time, right? So smaller pieces of that comet were striking all over the place. That made for a nice movie, but I don't know how accurate that would be. But that made me think that a smaller event like that would probably be more likely to impact us because just from not being noticed, right? So NASA or whoever's watching for that type of thing may not Oh, we already know they don't they don't see everything out there. It's only a certain percentage of impacts that they they can spot right now. If you get one that hits the Atlantic Ocean and it starts a tsunami and you have 12 hours to evacuate, you're probably going to be learning how to swim, you know, if if you're in New York City or something because you're not going to have time to get out. But if you do have time to try to get to higher ground or move further away from the coast, you know, that may be part of your plan course if you're you know if you're a decent prepper you've already considered those evacuation plans for other events so it's not going to change a lot so while we agree that a comet impact or meteor impact is really really low on the probability scale it's just curious that there are so many books and movies that deal with the topic not to uh, make you play armchair psychologist but why do you think we have so many movies about something that's really not going to happen I can tell you why, why I think it, it's... Uh, that is more, why I asked. Yeah, I, I didn't want to step on Jeff. I, I think it's because a lot of people in the back of their minds would kind of like to see something like that, you know, a reset. Why, is that a well, way to handle credit card debt? Does have a comet impact well, and wipe everything out? You know, that boss that's been giving you a hard time or, you know, that WEF, you know, all that stuff that they've got. You mentioned the reset. That was kind of the uh, underlying theme in both of H.G. Wells's comet stories, that in the first one, the star comes by and basically wipes out all of the political opponents that Wells didn't like and leaves the rest. And then in his story in The Days of the Comet, it's more like it just reverses morality that People are no longer fighting, and and everything is all love. So for Wells, he saw the comet impact as a chance for that great reset. Yeah, I, I don't really know, to be honest. It's just a good story. You know, why do we like to concentrate on zombies? You know, yeah, don't get ahead of myself. I'm going to ask you that one later. Yeah, um, the uh, I, I think it's Hollywood's opportunity to not have a bad guy. The meteor's you know, the bad he, guy? Well, yeah, you don't have a uh, this country against that country war, you know, with the with the nuke doom or or some of the other stuff that you can always blame somebody. But who who are you going to blame for a comet or an asteroid that's hitting the Earth? Mm, so it's more humanity versus uh, the unstoppable nature. Right. Could be something to that. Because, like I say, there's a lot of stories out there that have used that trope for something that's really not very likely. It kind of keeps showing up, so audiences are hungry for it. Everybody likes a survival movie, so in the end of a Hollywood production, you don't you don't see it end with the complete destruction of all mankind, right? So somebody mm -hmm. always survives. Actually, not to jump ahead to Nuke Doom, but have either of you seen the movie On the Beach? 
1959? No. No, it's a little before my time. Uh, well, mine too. I mean, I was four, but I wasn't watching movies and taking notes. It's one of those where there is no happy ending. The movie just ends where everybody on Earth dies. Ta-da, we're done. And it was a real downer. People were really bummed by the idea of a movie that didn't have a happy ending. So maybe you're right, Jeff. Maybe Hollywood has to give us a happy ending. If nothing else, to keep us coming back for more. Because if they're all on the beach downers like that, I'm going to stop watching movies. Right. And there was something like that not too long ago where I believe the only survivors was some guy in, in Antarctica and uh, people on the space station. And somehow they went to the outpost in Antarctica or something. But the name of the movie and the entire storyline is lost in <laughs> a crowded mix of thoughts and memories. Well, if you think of it later, you can uh, email us and we'll all go, oh, yeah. Well, anyway, I think that's about it for this particular topic. Like I say, it's interesting that there are so many movies portraying something that's really not likely to happen, but we keep liking to watch it. I want to thank you, Brian, of Next Step Survival for chiming in. And Jeff, the Guardian of Suburbia, appreciate you guys taking the time to chat. Thanks, Mick. Thanks for having me, Mick. All right. We'll have to do it again sometime. I'll email you the next topic. Sounds good. All right. Bye, guys. Bye now. See you. Okay, then. That ends this episode of Looking at Prepper Fiction. Up next week should be Chapter 2 of Book 6. And like I said during the show, if you want to go by my Buy Me a Coffee page or my Patreon pages, you can check out those Comet Scare postcards just for some visuals on the panic. Thanks for listening.